Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello, everybody. It has been a minute since I've done one of these. I realize I keep saying that. Life gets in the way sometimes, and it's okay. I have been incredibly busy with um, clients and students, and I launched uh, I launched an online course in doing shadow work. Um, I think you can find information about that on my website at the moment. Uh, I will make sure it's there if you're really interested. Shadow work's fantastic, and... Um, if you're not doing it, you should in, you know, in some way. You don't have to do it with my course, but um, definitely read up about it, take a course, watch videos, listen to an audiobook, something. I've done um, I've definitely done a podcast on the shadow and written lots of articles about it. Shadow work has been some of the best work that I have done for my own mental health and spiritual development and that sort of thing. So as Jung said, you don't, uh, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact quote. One does not become enlightened by shining more light, but by bringing things up from the shadow, basically by lightening, lightening the darkened spaces. Anyway, uh, as I record this, I have just come inside from shoveling about, um, I don't know, two feet of snow, somewhere around there. We had a blizzard yesterday. It was uh, interesting. Everybody hunkered down. I was fortunate not to lose electricity. I did lose internet for a while, but that's livable. And um, electricity is... Uh, problematic because um, my house is not heated without electricity. So I would have had to go go out in, you know, 45 mile an hour winds with uh, driving snow and start up a generator to have my house heated, but I would have done it. Totally cool. Um, But like with lots of storms, the day after, it's incredibly sunny out. It's bright and sunny, and the snow is shining off the, or the sun is shining off the snow, rather. And it's just beautiful. Just beautiful. So, I don't know. Maybe there's a spiritual lesson there that uh, after the storm, there is always the sun. The sun always shines on us. <clears throat> and the um, it reminds me, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but this is, uh, I don't know, this... This I find uh, great and interesting. Um, So almost everywhere in the world, at some point, people worshipped the sun. Um, And there's a good reason for that. I mean, the sun is basically the source of all life on Earth. Without the sun, you know, we wouldn't have life on Earth. Nothing would, nothing, (laughs) there would be nothing. Um, You know, the Earth would be a big rock. There would be no liquid water. Uh, There would be no, well, I don't think there would be anyway. Um, I don't think the uh, inside of the earth generates enough heat to, to melt the, melt the water. Um, There'd be no liquid water. There would be no plant photosynthesis. There would be no heat. There'd be nothing for the animals to eat or people, the animals to eat the other animals and people who do eat animals to eat those. 
So the sun is very important, and obviously, and our ancestors recognized that, and um, almost everywhere worship the sun. And if you look back, um, I was just reading about the cult of Mithras in um, Roman times, and um, it was a, uh, I want to say a competitor with Christianity because it was around the same time it started about 200 BC and went till about 400 AD and until it was sort of stamped out by Christianity. And, um, you know, there's, because they didn't really have written texts, everything we know about it is through, uh, archeology, span maybe some writings about it, but, um, you know, uh, but there are hundreds, if not thousands of temples out there. So we can sort of surmise, some of the things about it, and there's some writings about it, but they didn't have a written doctrine or anything. But anyway, um, Mithras, uh, you know, was somehow associated with Helios, god of the sun. Um, Also sometimes called Sol Invictus, even though Sol Invictus was a, um, was a kind of a separate Roman God. So I'm not sure exactly how that worked, but um, Sol Invictus means like the invincible or undying sun. Right. And we see this in similar things in Egyptian culture where, you know, the, the sun God Ra, you know, rides his bark across the sky and over the horizon and is reborn in the morning and, and everything. So the undying sun, and I'm, I'm reminded of that when we have storms or things are going rough, and we can apply that to our own lives, right? There's, no matter what we're going through, there's always some light somewhere. I would argue the light, there is light inside you, no matter how you feel or what we cover that up with, that each of us has a spark of divinity within us. We are connected to all things. All things are have a divine origin. Anyway, not what I'm talking about today, but um, as you know, if you listen to this, I like to go off on tangents. Today, um, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit, and I'm going to talk about mastery. Um, and before you think I'm getting egoic and thinking about like talking about becoming a master of the universe or something like that, or a master over yourself, although I may be talking a little bit about that. Um, I'm not. I'm talking about the mastery of anything, mastery of any skill or any ability that you want to master. And I'm going to talk about what it takes to master anything. I'm going to give you some shortcuts that I have found. And... I'll talk a little bit about why I don't want to. I don't want to get braggy, braggy, or build my ego up or anything like that. But I, but you should understand that uh, people you take information from are qualified. There is a real thing going on in the world that I have seen this pandemic bring out in people where expertise and experience is devalued. I don't know why that is, um, but people who spend a lifetime studying things um, have <laughs> generally have better information uh, than your next door neighbor who has just read a couple things on Facebook. Anyway, I don't want to go. I'm not going to talk about politics at all. This isn't a political thing. 
I'm having a little sip of coffee here. Warm me up after being outside shoveling snow. Um, but I want to talk about what it takes to master skill and why people generally don't. And to, uh, to give you some idea that I am at least somewhat qualified to talk about this. Now, I am not going to claim that I am a master of anything, but I have worked at certain things till I have gotten a fairly high level of skill and been recognized for that level of skill. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, one is that I spent a great deal of my life studying martial arts. My pref- my preferred martial art is um, Japanese jiu-jitsu, which is different than Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I studied and practiced that for decades and achieved the rank of third-degree black belt, which is better, I guess, a higher degree, a higher ranking than the vast majority of people achieve. And, um, you know, got my teaching license. It's called a menkyo, which is a teaching license. So I, I taught for a really long time. And I was able to do some cool things like, um, you know, go teach, uh, teach self-defense classes at places like, cool places like Harvard Medical School and, um, you know, some law offices all over Boston and go teach um, uh, people who serve as bodyguards for the Secretary of Defense. We got to go, uh, you know, teach them. So I got to do some really cool things um, because I had achieved a certain level of training, a certain level of skill with that. Okay, and I'm going to talk about what it took to get there. Um, you know, when I uh, decided to go into shamanism, I went in just to pick up a few skills and, and uh, you know, never had any intention of working with anybody else or um, teaching or anything like that. And then uh, I figured out that I really love to teach and I really love working with other people. So I have cl- now, I now have clients all over the world. Um, uh, I've had clients in Europe and clients uh, in uh, you know the as far you know between between Europe and the west coast of Canada. Um, anyway, um, I haven't yet to have clients in in Asia or Africa, but I would certainly welcome the opportunity. Um, but I, anyway, I have clients spread out all over the world and students all over the place. And, um, you know, it's just really something I love. And I spent a really long time uh, picking up skills and knowledge and practicing and going through some pretty big changes in my life to get there. So there are a few things. I mean, I, I um, when I... I decided to go into technology early in my life. I was in my early 20s. Um, I didn't have a degree in technology. Um, and so I just self-taught some technology skills. And then I had a 25-year career in technology where I wound up being, um, you know, getting up to the level of uh, vice president of a company um, in, charge of, in, tar- in charge of technology. So... Um, there's a few areas in my life and a few different things that I have, I won't say mastered, but 
I will say have have gotten a high enough level of skill to be recognized. I was uh, tapped to, I co-authored a technology book a few years back and I've written, uh, I've written extensively on spirituality and um, put out courses and had a column and I do a weekly radio spot and all kinds of things. So I've been able to, in the areas of my life that I really, really care about, I have been able to uh, get to a point where um a lot of people have not. Are there people who are, you know, at a on, a on a level, a higher level, or more skill or more experience? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and the other thing I want to say is that I don't think that I'm particularly smarter than anybody else, or better, or whatever. I'm not comparing myself to anybody, other than to say I figured a couple things out early in life and I want to share them. I figured some things out that have worked really well for me. And I did have um, I did have a little bit of an advantage. Some might consider this a disadvantage, but an advantage I have was that I was um, I was born with some musculoskeletal birth defects. In fact, when I was born, uh, doctors t- told my parents that I would never be able to walk. And one of the things that my parents did really, really right by me is to not accept that and uh, make me appreciate that I could do anything that I really put my mind to, that I might have to try extra hard or harder than other people were to do things, certain things. Some things might come naturally to me. Some things are much harder to me. Um, but, uh, you know, not only did I learn how to walk, but I played sports as a kid. I played baseball, uh, football. Over the summers, I played lacrosse and soccer. And I, um, you know, wound up really loving martial arts and training in that. And, you know, I talked about where I got to with that. So um, that the number one, the number one thing that I got from all of that experience is just tenacity, just sheer sticking with something, right? When something I cared about is really easy. Things I don't care about, I have a much harder time with, and I totally get that. Um, so let me think of <laughs> let me think of something. Um, you know, I. Uh, and this is not to you know this is not to take anything away from any anybody, but I'm not really into say knitting, right? And I know lots of people are, and that's fantastic. And whatever you're into, that's great, you know. And in fact, my um, significant other is fantastic with fiber arts. She knits and weaves, and in fact, spins her own yarn and all kinds of stuff. And she know dyes her own wool and all kinds of uh, very skilled, very beautiful stuff. Um, fantastic. She really loves it. It's never been something that I've been into doing myself. And so a couple times I've uh, tried to do it, whatever, I just kind of don't kind of don't get it and I don't really stick with it. Um, but if it were important to me, I would, I would learn how to do it. And, um, you know, if it was something that really... And maybe someday I will. Maybe someday I will be like, you know what? I really 
want to get into knitting. It just seems like, um, seems like something I would love and, uh, you know, I would stick with it until, until I got it. So, um, so anyway, I have a few things to share that I hope are helpful if you want to achieve something in your life, anything, I don't care what it is. So, you know, let's say, you know, let's talk about goals and stuff like that a little bit. Okay. So people will frequently have a goal that is a very long-term goal and they will give up because they don't achieve that long-term goal in the short term. And that doesn't make a lot of sense. This is where tenacity comes in, right? For example, um, you know, if I, if I, started out in martial arts, for example, saying, I just want to get my black belt. I just want to get my black belt. I just want to get my black belt. Um, you know, it, it took me years to get my black belt. Years, maybe seven years, something like that. It was a very long time in my school to get to get to black belt level. Um, you know, well, I probably would have quit after a month or something because that wasn't on the even on the radar. And it's fine to have long-term overarching goals, but I think you have to be a little realistic, and sometimes it can be helpful to set shorter-term goals. So um, key number one to mastering anything or getting good at anything, at least, is to have a level of tenacity, meaning you're going to stick with it. You're going to... Uh, you're, you know, you're going to practice something for a long period of time. Where people fall down with this, um, there's a couple places. One is the one I just talked about is having a long-term goal as a short-term goal and not understanding the difference. And um, the second one is um, not practicing the basics enough. And this is something I remember not that long ago. uh, My daughters were taking driver's ed class and they were, uh, they had both uh, driven for the first time with a driving instructor and they came home and it had been a rough experience. And who's first experience driving is completely smooth and I'm in a rough experience and the driving teacher yelled at them and I don't know um, they were just in shock about how how challenging it was to do something that they had never done before in their entire life so um, they came home and they were like I'm I'm not I'm a terrible driver I'm not going to be a good driver I'm like wait a minute wait a minute here this is your very first time driving and you expect that you're going to be an expert the, the first time you go out? That's unreasonable. But I've seen this. I've seen this with adult learners in martial arts. I've seen a lot of adult learners quit after their first week because they're not Bruce Lee. I have seen... Um, so, you know, one thing that I've done from time to time is teach meditation classes, right? And... People will tell me I can't meditate because I can't. The number one thing they tell me this is I, I get this all the time. 
I can't meditate because I can't stop my thoughts. Well, congratulations, you are alive. Um, The bad news is you are not a fully enlightened Buddha yet. And you might not get there in this lifetime. That's sort of like saying, I can't play basketball because I can't beat Michael Jordan yet. In fact, it is exactly like that. I will probably not ever beat Michael Jordan, but that doesn't mean I can't play basketball for the sheer enjoyment of it, and I can't practice, and I can't get better at something. Um, so there's this idea that there's a, there's a talent fallacy, right? There's a, uh, in fact, I use Michael Jordan a lot as a great example. Um, And Michael Jordan himself will talk about how many times he failed, how many times he missed what would have been the the, uh, winning shot for his team, how many games he lost. I think it's like, I don't know, some 9,000 or something. I don't know. I may be making that number up, but... Um, how many times he missed the winning shot, how many times he uh, wasn't perfect. But what he did was he kept going and he kept getting better. And a lot of people don't have the tenacity and they give up when they are not an expert at something without effort. And they think they lack talent. Talent is a myth, Yes, some people have characteristics that make them better at learning something or have an easier time learning something than others. I would not probably, you know, I'm about five foot six, and I would probably not make a good professional basketball player. But if I had practiced really, really hard, could maybe I've played in high school, college, pickup games, leagues? Sure, probably. I probably could, you know, and I did play a little, I played very little, but I played a little bit of basketball when I was a kid. We had a hoop in our backyard and we used to play games all the time. And I got really good at, um, really good at, uh, we played games, you know, shooting games a lot. And I got really good at shooting baskets from different areas in the court just because I did it every day. After I would, you know, go to school and come home and eat dinner and then run outside and my friend would come over and my brother would come out and we would, we would shoot basketballs. Um, and I got good at it over a couple of years. Um, pretty good. I mean, not Michael Jordan good, but I didn't practice that much. And the other thing I tell people you know, using the sports analogy, and I apologize if you're not a sports fan, but you can you can understand this. Um, if you watch any professional sports, you know, you, especially the team professional sports, basketball, football, soccer, whatever, baseball, what does the warm-up consist of? The warm-up consists of practicing very basic skills. Throwing free throws, dribbling around the court, running. You'll see people warming up in baseball. They are, you know, if they're a pitcher, they're throwing pitches in what's called the bullpen. 
or if they're on deck, they're swinging the bat to warm up. They're building this muscle memory. So I was watching a class by this artist recently. He's a very good artist, particularly skilled at drawing, um, drawing realistically. And um, his his pieces are not just realistic, but um, show a lot of character and show a lot of action. And his lines are beautiful and um, composition is great and all of these things. And he was talking about he had a teacher and there's a specific way that he was taught how to make circles, draw circles, right? And drawing a circle, you know, there's a specific, you know, artistically, there's a few different ways to do it, but there's a, a different way of holding a pencil than you would if you were writing, right? The way that you hold a pen to write. There's a different way of using your arm and there's a different, you know, distance between you and the paper and all of these things. So his teacher made him take 10 pages of paper every day for a year and make circles on the front and back. So 20 pages of circles every day for an entire year. And most of us do not have the tenacity to do something like that. Although I sure would like to try, I guess. I mean, um, I do enjoy drawing and painting. So um, I do think that that's probably a good lesson. But and, and what he said was that masters are not afraid to engage the basics or re-engage the basics. And it was the same when I was coming up in martial arts and training you know, um, everybody wanted to get to like, show me the advanced stuff, show me the five finger death touch, show me the jumping back flips, spinning in the air, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and my teacher would have us practice the same basic footwork. There's 10 basic ways to move your feet in my system of martial arts. And he would have us practice that over and over again for three hours sometimes. Most people don't have the fortitude to do that. But, um, you know, over time you get really good. You don't even have to think about it anymore. If you remember, I'll talk about a skill that you probably most likely have mastered, and you can probably think of others. Um, and we don't think of these things as hard anymore because we do them without thinking. And that is something like tying your shoes or brushing your teeth. And when you were a small child, it took a while before you could do either of those things without thinking really hard about what you were doing. Right. And you had to have your, you know, your parent, lean over you. And I remember when I, I remember learning to tie my shoes and we did the whole make the rabbit run around the tree and up through the hole kind of thing. And I had to do that over and over again and think really hard about it. And I couldn't get the laces quite tight enough and they would come untied all the time. And, um, I mean, it took a while to get good at that, even though it's a fairly simple skill. We don't remember stuff like that usually because we're really young, but um, we don't think we, I don't remember learning how to walk. I, um, you know, it was probably somewhat challenging for me having um, 
uh, you know, some birth defects that might have prevented me from walking. I'm having another sip of coffee here. Pardon me. And, um, well, that's good coffee. Um, the, uh, you know, learning how to walk. If you watch, you know, you watch a toddler or baby first learning how to walk, they have to be very conscious of making steps and they fall down a lot, which is good that they're so low to the ground and generally kind of, kind of, you know, pudgy. So they, they, you know, they bounce a little bit when they fall down and they usually don't get hurt or at least hurt too bad, you know, and then they want to run, right? Um, my, my daughters were runners. Let me tell you, chasing twins, woo. <laughs> you gotta be, boy, I, you know, I got some exercise back then. Okay. So you have mastered skills. If you can walk, brush your teeth, read, write, um, you know, talk, all of these things you, at one point you couldn't do and you mastered them. Think about how complex a skill something like writing is, like handwriting. You know, first of all, you know, there is the, the artistic part where you have to make the letters look like something else. So there's this whole um, muscular thing, hand-eye coordination thing. Then you have to learn how to spell stuff, and that can be really challenging, and some people have learning disabilities that make that much harder and, and, get, over, and get over it. You know, not get over it, but they, they learn how to work within their, their learning disabilities to, um, you know, become proficient at these things. And I'm always amazed by that. I'm, you know, having overcome some disabilities myself, I, you know, uh, always impressed by people who, who can um, work with what they've got and, and, uh, and do great things, you know. Lots of great minds had what we would now consider uh, learning disabilities at some point. Um, you know, people talk about Einstein. <laughs> he was a special case, but, um, you know, at one point he was considered unteachable and sent home from school, I think, very early in life. That was probably a good thing for him. That probably wound up, you know, pushing him a little bit. I know for me... I was, um, when, when somebody told me I couldn't do something, I would do it just to spite them. I would do it to prove them wrong. Like nothing pushed me further. And that's me, you know, that might not be you, but that's definitely me. If somebody says, you can't do that. Oh yeah. Well, let me show you. I will do that. Um, and I'm still, you know, (laughs) I'm still quite a bit like that. I was told, um, I remember taking uh, taking a test, one of these standardized tests they give to every student in the entire United States, constantly testing. Um, I still have no idea what good that does. Um, taking one of these standardized tests and scoring poorly in the... I was in middle school, and I scored poorly in the writing assessment part of it. And, uh, you know, my mom 
went to some parent teacher conference or something and she came home and they're like, well, they told me you couldn't write. I'm like, really? Well, that's interesting. Um, you know, um, <laughs> I'm a published author, you know, I, I've written stuff. I've written lots of stuff. I write all the time. It's a big part of what I do is writing stuff. So, um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't always, uh, again, somebody tells me I, I can't do something that's going to push me a little bit. It's extra motivating. I have a healthy distrust for authority and a healthy distrust for, I, I do trust the opinions of experts um, to to an extent, um, uh, until it gets into something like you can't write or you'll never be able to walk or, you know, when they start saying ridiculous stuff like that. So a couple of keys of mastery that I've kind of talked about, I want to recap a little bit um, because I I want this to be useful. So is there something you've ever wanted to learn or do or get better at? I don't care what it is. It could be, you know, starting and running a business or, um, you know, uh, uh, some physical skill, some sport, some art you want to learn. You want to learn how to sing. I have a lot of people, um, a lot of people make excuses. There are these sort of, uh, cut, you know, these, these what I call pocket excuses, these things that people pull out of their pull out of their pocket, like I can't learn how to sing. I'm tone deaf. Um, I don't think that's a thing, actually. I mean, it might be, but I, I think it's I think it's very very rare. It is it is far more rare than the number of people I've heard say they were tone deaf. I can't I can't sing. I'm tone deaf. What that means is they tried to sing at one point in their life. They were off key because they had never trained in singing in their life, never taken a singing lesson in their entire life. And all of a sudden they weren't Beyonce or Mariah Carey or whoever they were comparing themselves to. And so they they ascertained that they were tone deaf. It's not any kind of diagnosis. It's a self-diagnosis. And frankly, it's crap. <laughs> um, you know, similar things to people say, I can't meditate because I can't stop my thoughts. Okay. You're comparing yourself to Buddha, you know. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some real practical um, advice too. So, people have these pocket excuses. If that's you, cut it out. <laughs> that's my practical advice. Stop it. If there's anything you want to do and you have this uh, pocket excuse, I can't do that because that's that's convenience. That's a convenient excuse. Um. What you're really saying is, um, I was not born being able to do this skill and I feel embarrassed trying or um, I, you know, it hurts my self-esteem to not be perfect at something I try the first time. That's really what it is. And when you, you know, uh, not to be harsh with anybody, but but understand it. Understand that that's it. You are not tone deaf. You are not... Uh, unable to meditate, you're not able to, unable to draw a straight line. That's another, that's another one I hear about people learning to draw. I can't even draw a straight line. So what? Do you think you could learn how to draw a straight line? Do you think it's really important to draw a straight line in art? 
hardly any hardly anything in art consists of a straight line unless you're doing like architectural drawings or something like that um I can't even draw a straight line. I've heard that so many times. It's a pocket excuse. It's a, you know, it, it's an excuse you, somebody heard once. And, oh yeah. That, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hang on to that so I can use that. So I don't have to, I, you know, and, and I don't care. Like if you don't want to learn how to sing or draw or um, ride a horse or what, you know, whatever, that's fine. But drop, drop the excuses. Like just say, you know, like with me and and knitting, like I just haven't been into knitting. Um, I am fully convinced I could learn how to knit if I if I wanted to. I would have to put some effort into it um, because I never, uh, I think my grandmother tried to teach me when I was a kid and maybe I did a little bit, um, you know, and it just didn't interest me that much. So if you're not interested in something, that's totally fine. Um, but get really clear on when you're using these pocket excuses, what that actually means, what you're actually saying. Um, and you should have this, uh, BS alarm going off in the back of your head every time you or anyone else around you uses one of these excuses. I can't do that because, hmm. You know, and it's trite, but, um, you know, there used to be a thing where, you know, can't is a four-letter word. Well, it is. Can't is really, like, it's final. It's like, I, I can't. I can not. Um, I am not skilled at this yet is a much more accurate description. Um, so a couple things, a couple things I'll recommend. That's one of them. Uh, one of the things I recommend, yeah, a big one I recommend is, uh, understand like if you, if any of these excuses, if you're using any of these excuses, just understand what they are and understand that they're crap. Um, (laughs) I'm going to start when somebody tells me I can't sing because I'm tone deaf or I can't carry a tune or, uh, I can't do this because X, Y, or Z. And it's one of these excuses. I'm just going to point at them and say, bull crap. Um, no, I won't do that. I'm a nicer person than that. Um, but I will ask them to challenge and and I've done this with, uh, with clients because I coach people as well. When I've had coaching students say, you know, coaching clients rather not coaching students, coaching clients say, I can't do X because of Y. I would say, well, I'm going to challenge that belief you have. I'm going to challenge you to prove, prove that that's wrong. You do the same thing with yourself. If you have a belief that's holding you back, challenge yourself to prove that your belief is wrong. A belief is just something that you hold to be true, regardless of its whether it's true or not. So these excuses are just beliefs. And the other thing that beliefs are is they are habits of thought. So if you tell yourself enough times, I can't sing because I am tone deaf, that becomes a habit. And it also becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, meaning, um, you know, uh, I always remember, <laughs> I remember like in college and high school and stuff and people were like, oh, you know, there's a, there's a bug going around and I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get sick. Those people always got sick. And I would say, I don't have time for this. I got finals coming up. I'm not getting sick. Screw that. 
and I would never get sick. I remember there was a, um, there was a, some kind of bug. I don't know if it was a virus or bacteria or whatever in the water supply in the building I lived in in Boston. I lived in this horrible rundown building and we had, um, there were 200 people in the building with really bad, uh, stomach issues um, you know, <laughs> to the point where some of them, some of them, uh, you know, did have to go to an emergency room or, or, you know, see a doctor or whatever. And they came in and they're like, you cannot use the water till we figure this out. Um, don't brush your teeth. Don't take a shower. Don't drink the water. And I was like, screw that. I mean, I, you know, uh, I'm probably not going to drink the water, but I'm going to brush my teeth and take a shower and do all of those things. Um, I'm not going to, you know, how long do I have to smell bad and have nasty teeth? Um, so I, I did, and I never got sick during that time. Um, so belief is powerful. Belief's important. I'm not saying you can uh, ignore health warnings, and I'm not at all recommending that. Um, I was younger and not as not as cautious about my health back then, maybe. But, uh, um, you know, uh, who knows? We know placebo effect, uh, you know, is like, has, has a huge effect on many things. And so does nocebo effect, which is the opposite of placebo. Uh, meaning if I give you something and I tell you that it's poison, you're going to act as if, right? So mindset has a really important, uh, part to play. So, um, Understand where your excuses come from for things that you want to master but haven't been able to yet. Um, I've already mentioned this, but practice the basics. So mastery of anything, there's some, I I don't know where this rule came from, and it seems really, it it seems like a really too broad a thing to actually uh, measure. Um, You know, so it's probably probably inaccurate when applied to reality, but it there is a truthism to it where they say it takes 10,000 hours of practice to master any skill. Um, and I would say, I mean, different skills try, you know, take a different amount of practice to master, right? Um, uh, shooting a bow and arrow probably takes a longer time to master than uh, throwing a throwing a Nerf ball into a trash can from across the room. I don't know. Depends on who you are, I guess. Anyway, um, but the idea is that you have to put, if you want to master anything, it's going to require effort and it's going to require time. And there's this other mistaken belief um, that, is frequently unspoken, but I see it happen with a lot of people in a lot of different fields. And that is, if I am making an effort at something, I don't have the talent for it, or I wasn't born with it, or I'm not good at it, and I can't get good at it. Um, And this is part of that talent myth, right? Um, That people who are good at stuff don't put in a lot of hard work at it. Look at anybody in any Olympics competition. Um, Look at Michael Phelps, right? The swimmer, the USA swimmer, right? Who got all those gold medals. 
spent eight hours a day in the pool, eight hours a day in the pool, something like that, right? He had to eat, I forget how many thousands of calories because he was burning it all off, being cold in the pool and, you know, getting all of the exercise that he was getting. He needed a tremendous amount of food. It wasn't effortless. We, we see these people. We see gymnasts and dancers and artists and people like that. We see them for seconds, right? You see them for somebody do, um, you know, a three-minute dance routine that's really beautiful. And you go, wow, they make it look so easy. Sure they do. That person's been training for 20 years. It looks effortless. That doesn't mean it. That doesn't mean it. It is first of all, right? Um, it's probably they are probably putting an extreme amount of effort into it. But you're also not seeing the amount, the tremendous amount of work that they've put into it. So let's get past this um, talent effortlessness myth. Okay, if you want to. Uh, get good at something, you have to put effort in. And in the beginning, any skill, like it's going to be really hard in the beginning if it's something you've never done before. You know, um, I can remember, I remember certain, um, you know, certain martial arts things I was trying to get and, um, you know, seeing a teacher do this thing where you could like leap through the air and kick somebody's legs and twist around in midair and, you know, tie the person up in a pretzel and just look at that and like, okay, um, you made that look easy. I, for me to do that, do that specific technique, I'm probably going to have to put a really lot of hard work into it. And it wasn't to say I couldn't learn stuff that was really hard that I put a lot of effort into. Um, I could, and I did, and I put a lot of effort into getting good at what I did and into learning how to teach as well. Um, teaching is a skill unto itself and teaching adults is different than teaching kids. And, um, you know, I, uh, I threw myself into the fire. (laughs) A lot of times I taught, like I said, I taught, um, I remember teaching a class at Harvard Medical School, and then a couple weeks later, I taught a class at a um, shelter for pregnant teenagers. Um, very different audiences, very different audiences. Um, and not to take anything away from the um, pregnant teenagers living in the shelter, because they were tough and tenacious and, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of them had been abused. And so they were really, really interested in learning how to defend themselves and their, their soon-to-be children. Um, but different, very different approaches, right? Very different approaches to teaching different audiences. Some people want to learn, you know, uh, they're not as interested in the anatomy and physics of it as just the sheer practicality and the, the, you know, the people in Harvard medical school, um, you know, if I talked something, you know, if I made something up about, um, uh, anatomy or something like that, uh, they'd call me on that. 
So it's different. You have to shift your your approach a little bit. So, um, so effort. Okay. So understand that if you want to master anything, you're going to put a significant amount of time into it and you are going to stink at it for quite a period of time. You're not going to be good at almost anything you try the first time. Um, you might have, you know, what they call beginner's luck or uh, beginner's mind. No, and I'll talk about beginner's mind in a second. It's another one that is um, really, really powerful. Will shorten your learning curve. So let's talk a little bit about shortening your learning curve. One way, one really good way to shorten your learning curve on anything is to get individual attention attention from somebody who's really good at that skill. So if you can, you know, you can go take a class in something, but if you can get a private lesson in something that will, um, you know, it's somebody who's somebody who's good at teaching a, and really, and has a a good handle on that skill. Um, Take a private lesson, get a coach. Any of these things you can do will, um, will move you, move you forward much quicker. Um, And then the other thing is, called beginner's mind and this comes from zen i believe and um you know there's a book by suzuki called zen mind beginner's mind i'm very fond of it and what he says is in the beginner's mind uh and i'm gonna paraphrase a little bit but um, in the beginner's mind there are many possibilities in the expert mind experts mind there are few so there's an old Zen story, and you might have heard of this, but it's about a um, uh, student who goes to the Zen master and says, you know, I, I want to learn everything you have to learn, everything you have to teach me, and blah, blah, blah. And the, um, you know, the, the master sets a cup of tea out and starts pouring the tea. And the student's looking at him, and um, he's he's uh, pouring and pouring the tea, and the teacup is full, and he keeps pouring, and the tea is spilling all out. And the student's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're spilling the tea all over the place. And the Zen master says, um, well, you didn't come to me with an empty cup. You came to me full of what you think of knowledge and opinions and all of these things. And so if you want to taste the tea that I have for you, you have to empty your cup. And this is about taking on the beginner's mind. Now I've seen this in, um, I've seen this in martial arts and I remember years ago I went to go teach a seminar with my teacher at this place. And it was, um, there were going to be like a bunch of different teachers teaching different arts. And there was a teacher teaching, uh, what's called Wing Chun, which is a, a Chinese martial art. It's the one that Bruce Lee studied before he founded his own martial art. And, um, I'd never studied Wing Chun before. So I showed up early and I had to you know, I had to be dressed because I was teaching afterwards. So I came in. Normally, I would, you know, not get dressed up in my in my uniform with my black belt and all these things. But I was teaching right after, so I came in, and the guy was like, "Oh, you know, oh, oh, here's this guy," 
and he and he gave me this look, and I knew, I I knew in his mind that he was thinking, oh, here's this guy, he's going to come in and uh, talk crap about my class while he's taking it. And the reason he thought that is because <laughs> because people do that all the time. I've experienced that myself. I've experienced people walking in off the street into a class that my teacher is teaching and start, you know, basically heckling from the back of the class. I'm like, this is your first day. You have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but there are, there's a lot of ego. And, you know, I just wanted to learn from this guy. And I remember he, he you know, showed us something and I go... I said something along the lines of, wow, I really like that. And he came over and goes, oh, you don't like that? And I was like, no, 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 I really like that. I would never say I don't don't like that. And it took him a while to kind of relax around me because I think he thought I was going to come in there and disrupt his class because people in the West, I will say, I don't think you would be able to do this anywhere in an Asian martial arts school without serious repercussions for it. Um, but people are very disrespectful uh, frequently, not everybody, but there are people who are disrespectful and walk in with an ego and want to uh, teach a cl- teach the class. I've seen this in um, teaching shamanism as well. People come in and they want to take over a class from the teacher. Um, and I, you know, I've been in classes where that's been um, irritating to me because I'm like, I am not here to learn from you. I'm here to learn from this teacher. If you want to offer a class, I, you know, offer a class, but I'm, you know, don't, don't try to teach the class. So have a beginner's mind. When you come into something new, forget what you think you know about it. Um, And particularly if you're studying with a person who has um, been doing something for, for a while, they might have a different approach or a different way to teach you something. And if you are closed off from that, you're going to take a lot longer to learn what he has to, that he or she, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be sexist in my, he, she, or they, um, has to teach. Um, drop your ego, okay? Drop your ego as best you can. And understand if you, like, if, if in your head you're feeling the urge to like correct uh, you know correct a teacher um understand that that's ego you know it's not that teachers aren't correctable it's not that um you know i don't ever present myself as a guru i am certainly open to questions and if people go oh you know you said this before but this seems to contradict it um what do you mean by that well that's an earnest question right? Or I don't, I don't understand this. Like you said this, but I'm not quite getting it. That's an earnest question or concern. Not, oh, well, you said this, but I was taught to do it this way. Okay, great. You know, you then you don't have to learn anything from me. I'm sorry that you, you know, I'm sorry that you wasted your money. And I've seen, um, this hasn't, hasn't been an issue for me yet. I'm not saying it won't ever be, but I have seen my my teachers, teachers in various subjects, ask people to leave and say, I will refund all your money. You're clearly not going to learn anything. And on top of that, you're going to disrupt the rest of the class. And if you go to a class and your ego makes you uh, fight with the teacher, disrupt the class, 
decide you can teach the class better than a teacher or whatever, um, and you take away from other people's learning experiences, that's pretty crummy. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Gosh, I gosh, I dislike it. I remember, um, you know, when I was younger and living in the, living in Boston, I used to go to comedy clubs a lot. Boston had a ton of comedy clubs. A lot, some of the best comedians in the world during the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties came out of Boston. Um, in fact, I went to school with uh, at least one of them. But a lot of a lot of great comedians went to my college in Boston, and I used to go to comedy clubs and hecklers bothered bothered me to you know to no end because i paid to go to this club to see this comedian and here's some person sitting at the front of the stage just you know yelling out or whatever and they're just distracting from the show and they're not funny and i'm not paying to see them um and so i used to really dislike that and i remember um I remember having seeing a comedian. I went to a show with a bunch of comedians. Um, probably, I think it was probably the last comedy show I ever went to live so far. No, no, that's not true. I've been to some some others. I have a friend who's a, who's a an up and coming stand up comedian. Um, but anyway, the last one I went to in Boston, I'll put it that way, years and years ago, and there were people yelling stuff out and you know whatever. And um, this comedian came out who was kind of the host, kind of the MC for the evening, and basically said something like, you know, um, I used to work as a barista at Starbucks, and um, if, you know, somebody threw up on the floor in the bathroom, it was my job to clean it up. But that's not what I wanted to do all day long. Like, I wasn't asking people to come in here and throw up on the floor so I could clean it up. And when you go to a comedy club, yeah, you know, it's comedian's job to, when they're up on stage, to deal with hecklers, but that doesn't mean they want to. And when he, when he said that, like, the entire audience erupted with applause because we were all tired of these hecklers. So don't be like that. Be nice when you go to learn stuff. If you go to a class with a teacher and you don't like the teacher, or you don't like what they're teaching, or you think you can do better, or whatever, um, it's not up to you from t- to take away from the experience of other people. Handle it respectfully. Um, if you want to leave the class, do it in a way that doesn't disrupt the class. Or if you don't like it, um, you know, go home, or stay to the end of the day and go home, and you don't ever have to you know, do anything with that teacher ever again, but don't be like that. So drop, drop the ego. (laughs) I've said that a lot in this podcast about dropping your ego. So I want to wrap this up. I'm coming to the hour mark here. And, um, you know, I, I hope this has been helpful. This has been a little less about spirituality and more, although it applies, it certainly can, you know, certainly applies to spiritual pursuits or, or anything. Um, but I want this to be incredibly practical, and I hope that you'll um, take what I've said to heart here. Because I believe in you, and I want you to believe in you. If there's anything that you'd ever wanted to do and you say, I can't, and you still can't get around saying, I can't, 
just tag it with the word yet. I can't do that yet. Because at least you're implying that you'll be able to do that someday. Um, And if you have, if there's anything you've mastered, tying your shoes, any hobby that you have, any work skill that you have, even dealing with other people, know that you could, you have what it takes to master just about anything. Um, And by master, I don't mean you have to be the best person in the world at something. Um, I just mean you have the ability to get to a level of satisfying competence with something where you can do things um, with less effort than a beginner and to a higher degree of skill than you might have even imagined. You can learn how to draw. You can learn how to sing. You can learn how to um, shoot a basketball or a bow and arrow or, or anything or meditate. Please meditate. Everybody should meditate. I don't use the word should very often, but I do believe that everybody should meditate. (laughs) It's so good for you. Um, and it doesn't have to be, it does not have to be religious or spiritual at all. It can be just body, body, mind, spirit practice. And I realize I use the word spirit here, but I said it doesn't have to be spiritual. But what I mean is you're, you're training all parts of yourself. You're doing a good thing for all levels of yourself. So with that, I will wrap it up for this week. I hope, uh, please visit my website. Please subscribe to this podcast. Um, Check out my YouTube channel. Check me out on Instagram. Follow me on Facebook. Do all those things. Um, And I hope to hear from you. If there are topics that you'd want me to cover or uh, people that you want me to interview, I'm hoping um, soon to be getting some more guests on the podcast. With that, know that I love you, I believe in you, and I will talk to you real soon. been listening to Speaking Spirit with your host, John Moore. For more info or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.